listeners, Kathy Lawless, Life Story Curator. I'm all about capturing and curating career and life stories as a meaningful way to celebrate a milestone moment like a big old birthday, anniversary, retirement, or graduation. And I'm at my best when curating photo books that move your memories from the basement or your phone or your computer to the coffee table, giving you and your family and friends access to these treasured memories for years to come. I also love curating and capturing life and career stories through this podcast series, How Did I Get Here? It's a series of interviews designed for people just starting out in their careers, people in transition or possibly feeling stuck, and giving them access to the stories of people who have been there, done that, so that they might be inspired with some new ideas or maybe just comforted knowing they are not alone, that everybody starts somewhere and everybody goes through times of transition and times when they feel stuck. I'm very excited today to be interviewing Rachel Jenks, who is the brand boss. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much, Kathy. It's an honor to be here today. We're going to pause for a moment to hear from a very happy Life Story Curator client. My name is Eleanor Allen, and I recently finished a project with Kathy about my mother's life story. And the reason I wanted to do her life story was that she's first 91 years old, And second, we've been talking about it for years as a family. I have four brothers and many nieces and nephews, and we had never gotten around to making the book. Then one day I was out with another friend who is a mutual friend of of mine and Kathy's, and she showed me the book that Kathy had made about her parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And I thought right then and there, this is the answer. I got to hire Kathy to get this life story finally done for my mother. So I did. And working with Kathy is just a joy and a pleasure. So first, how do you organize somebody's 90 plus years into a story that's succinct, but also very interesting? And Kathy helped guide myself and my niece and one of my brothers, I have four brothers, one of them worked on this project with us intensely into the the, uh, storyboarding process and then working into, okay, these are the chapters of her life we're going to work on, which we went by decade. And then for each decade of her life, what do we need? We need this many pictures and this many um, vignettes. And then Kathy also brought in this great idea to put in QR codes of recordings. I hadn't even thought of that, but we did several of those. Some are my mother's um, audio recordings. We captured some of those audio files. Some are video recordings of her telling stories of her life that we have in the book, but of course, much more detail when we have the recording. And some QR codes are also documents. So we put a link to my father's autobiography that he had written for us before he passed as well. And my grandfather's autobiography that my father had done uh, interviewing my grandfather. So very special and those come to life as well in the book. So I encourage you, if you have any inclination of documenting someone's life story in your life, definitely go for it. It's worth the work and the the product, in this case, my mother's story is absolutely wonderful. And she was over the moon with joy. So don't wait, do it. Document the life of your loved ones or whatever special occasion there is and work with Kathy and you will have a wonderful experience. And Rachel, before we get into your story and what it means to be the brand boss, I always like to start with the icebreaker questions so that we get to know you as a human being. So if you wouldn't mind, and I know these are kind of loaded icebreaker questions, but if you wouldn't mind sharing, where did you grow up? What part of the country or world? And where in the birth order are you in your family? And then how did those two things shape who you are? Absolutely. So I grew up in Rochester, New York. So that is just on Lake Ontario, for those of you who are not familiar. Um, And I don't know that that had a profound impact on how, um, like on my journey, other than the fact that I am very appreciative of sunshine because Rochester is the second cloudiest city in the nation. (laughs) So it is a beautiful place. I had a wonderful upbringing. I'm very grateful for, but I definitely also really love sunshine now. Um, As far as where I am in the birth order, I am the youngest. I am the baby. And that definitely had a huge impact on me because, you know, my parents were pastors and my brother was really 
you know, well-known for his musical prowess. He still is. And so I think there was part of me that grew up a little bit kind of in everybody's shadow. Um, and so having to come into my own and find my own identity, not just, you know, the pastor's daughter, not just, you know, Stephen Jenkins's sister, but who I am was kind of a journey for me. So. Yeah. I, I love these questions because they really do give us insight on how your worldview was shaped, right? In terms, like you said, you're kind of in the shadows of, uh, well, what did you do? What was kind of your thing? If your brother's thing was music, what yeah. did you Mine was ballet. Yeah, um, I loved ballet. I did ballet. I did horseback riding. Um, I would say I had a lot of things, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't necessarily have the same notoriety is the word that's coming to me. That's not really the word that I want, but like when I, so just to give you a little snapshot. So when I started high school, I've never, those of you who can't see me right now, cause you're just seeing my audio. I am 41 years old and I probably look in my twenties and I'm way more grateful for that now than I ever was. But when I started high school, you know, my brother had been the president of the choral council and like everybody knew Stephen Jenks. And I was this little pipsqueak who the first day of school actually got stopped multiple times in the hallway by hallway monitors who were very concerned that a middle schooler had escaped and oh, gone to the high school instead. So, you know, here I go to the high school where everybody knows my brother, but nobody knew who I was. And so, yeah, I was very smart. I uh, still am, <laughs> but was very smart, very good at school, loved ballet. That was my number one passion horseback riding, all of that kind of stuff. But I think also because of the role that, I don't know why I'm going here, but because of the role that church played in my family with my parents being pastors, you know, my brother was also very prominent on the worship team and I didn't start playing on the worship team until I was 14. So I think they were kind of more in the spotlight than I was growing up, even though I've always had um, lots of opportunity to be on the stage. I'm extremely comfortable on the stage. I think they definitely had more spotlight on them than I did growing up, or maybe that was my own perception. Yeah. Yeah. What's the age difference? Five years. Five years. Oh, okay. So that's enough. Yeah. yeah. Well, and he is the best big brother ever. I just want to yeah. throw that in there. Like he never made me feel like none of these people ever made me feel like I was in their shadow. Um, I think that was more my perception growing up, but it's also a real thing, right? And those are things that shape us in life. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and your parents and your brother may not have, but the outside, the outsiders, right? Neighbors and other people in, in your um, church community and school and all that, right? They just view you based on your physical stature and who you're related yeah. to and what you're part of. So that might've been part Absolutely. of Absolutely. And being the baby, like who actually takes the baby seriously most of the time? <laughs> You know, good point. My younger sister always talked about she never wanted to be left behind. So it was um, all about how do I stay up? And, you know, so, you know, always kind of that high achiever, skipped a grade in, in elementary school. I mean, there's all that. I don't leave me behind. And that's gonna something that pushed her. So, okay, well, very interesting. So we're gonna shift gears a little bit. Are you right. introvert, extrovert, or an ambivert? I think I'm both. So it's actually interesting that you asked this question because when I was in my late 20s, somebody actually did, somebody who was Myers-Briggs certified actually did, you know, the full assessment on me and everything. And she assessed me as an introvert, an INFP. And so I started to be in situations and go, well, wait a minute, maybe that's who I am. And I started to draw back and feel like I had to now fit this label of introvert. And then it wasn't until years later that I kind of saw that I was showing up in life as an introvert, but is that really who I am? So I think I'm kind of a mixture of both. Um, I very much value like alone time in nature. I crave deep one-on-one -on -one connections with people that I love. Um, I don't love being in a room with tons of people but I know how to engage in the room, right? And being with people does energize me depending on the people that I'm with. So I think that I'm kind of, and I love being on camera and I love doing things like this. So that's why I think I'm kind of both. I can be an extrovert, but I also need that introvert time to just kind of recharge myself. And if I don't get that, then I do get burnout. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's your core, but you have tendencies of both. 
and yeah. and value both. So yeah, very cool. Okay, well, great, great description there. Uh, another kind of shift in gears is uh, on the uh, the fun meter on a scale of one to five. One being a couch potato and five being the life of the party. Where do you put yourself? Oh, that's a great question. I wouldn't call myself the life of the party, but I'm definitely not a couch potato. So probably like a three or a four. I don't know. I hesitate calling myself the life of the party because I'm not really into pop culture and all that kind of stuff. So I always feel a little bit awkward in those situations. Um, but I'm not a couch potato either. So I would say probably a three, but the adventures that I'm off on really aren't necessarily the life of the party, but you're going to get some amazing hiking photos. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So if you go, if we spend time with you, we'll get a great time, but that True. doesn't mean that you always show up that way. So I get it. Okay. Yeah. That's a and good point. On the risk meter, same scale, one to five, uh, one being low and five being a high risk taker. Where are you on taking risks? Five. Five. Oh, okay. Right up there yeah. for both professional and personal or. Yeah, I would say personal I'm working on <laughs> personal is probably between like a 3.75 and a 4.5, but um, professional, definitely a five. Definitely a five. Okay, great. Well, I love how all these questions, you know, where you grew up, where your family, you know, all your family dynamics and everything, how that fits in. Because as we hear your story now, it starts to play out and you kind of get the whole, oh, well, that's the risk taking thing coming in. And that's the, that's the introvert or that's the extrovert. So, okay. Well, Rachel, tell us what it's like to be the brand boss. And then we'll get into how did I get here? Sure. What it is like to be the brand boss is to have the incredible gift of helping business leaders own their difference. And you'll hear more of this in my story, but I am super passionate about helping business leaders show up authentically as who they are and not be a best kept secret anymore. And also have the courage to own their difference because it's one thing to just say I'm different. It's another thing entirely to own it. And by owning your difference also, you know, Seth Godin's the purple cow. So many people think they have to go paint themselves purple. No, there's already something unique about who you are. So let's just mine out what that is and then help you express that in a way that you're no longer a best kept secret and the people who need you can find you. So what that looks like for the brand boss is there's two facets. So there's the brand boss studio. And at the Brand Boss Studio, we provide full done-for-you concierge personal branding and content marketing services. And I very specifically say content marketing rather than social media because social media has unfortunately become quite a bit a dime a dozen and everybody uses the same stock photos and the same graphics and shares other people's content, which there's a time and a place for. But rather than build no like and trust with stock photos, let's build no like and trust with you as a person, your face, your voice, your expertise, et cetera, because you're meeting people, you're having conversations, right? You're doing networking, all the things we do as business owners, but you couldn't possibly continue that conversation all day, every day with those same people. There's just not time for it, but your social media can do that. So that's what we do in personal branding, tapping into the authentic identity of your personal brand, and then content marketing, helping you be discovered and build those relationships with the people that you serve. And then on the coaching and consulting side of things, I'm super passionate about this because this is a journey that I've walked myself in the past three years as somebody in marketing, you know, just to be transparent for the first four years of my business, I didn't market my own company. I just marketed other people's. It's like, oh, we get business from referrals and I'll let my business do the talking and all of that, which again, there's a time and a place for, but there are people that you are here to impact. And if we don't have the courage as business owners to quote unquote, put ourselves out there, then the people who need us won't be able to find us. You have to be discoverable to be discovered. So in my 12-week Own Your Difference personal branding coaching program, I walk business owners through what took me three years to do myself. I walk you through in 12 weeks to identify, then amplify, and then multiply the impact of your personal brand. Wow. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Okay. that's I, I love what you bring here. And, and you can see your energy and you can see you walk your talk here. I mean, you are bringing out what is so different about you. So that's awesome. Thank well, you. 
taking you back now, when you were a young person, did you always want to do either marketing or branding or think that, oh, someday I'm going to own my own business and I'm going to be the brand boss? <laughs> no, this could not have been farther from my radar, right? I am very creative. I'm very multifaceted. I always have been, right? So if you asked me what I wanted to be growing up, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I wanted to be a professional ballet dancer. I wanted to be a dolphin trainer at SeaWorld. I wanted to train the Lipizzaner stallions, like all these things. But the two that really, really stuck were to be a professional ballet dancer and to be a mom. Those have been my two deepest dreams my entire life. Business was never on the horizon for me, which is funny because looking back, I was very entrepreneurial. I made, you know, the friendship bracelets and sold those. I had a lemonade stand with a friend. We started a stationary company for a little bit. I think that lasted for about two weeks. We were like going to take over the world with our stationary company and all that kind of stuff. So I had all of these entrepreneurial inklings. But for me, I was going to be a mom and I was going to be a professional ballet dancer and maybe also a fighter pilot. We'll see that maybe after the ballet or the mom thing, maybe I'll be a fighter pilot. Well, <laughs> so tell us uh, your journey then. Did you go on to then be a ballet dancer and a mom? I did. So I have not yet had the privilege of being a mom that's going to cry. <laughs> Still a very deep desire of my heart. It's something that I do believe is ahead. Um, but uh, growing up, you know, my dream was to be a professional ballet dancer. And I had several people say, oh, you're so good. I had this ballet master who had been a professional ballet dancer say, Rachel, you are so good, but you're too short and you have a sway back. You'll never make it. And I said, oh yeah, watch me. Watch me, watch me. <laughs> <laughs> and some of that honestly got to a very unhealthy place of perfectionism and eating disorders and all that kind of stuff. Um, that unfortunately accompanies so much of the dance world. And I definitely have that in my story as well. But when I was 17, I signed up for a summer intensive with this ballet company in Jacksonville, Florida. And honestly, I thought it was this last hurrah, like I'm going to get my one last fix of ballet before I have to go off to school and get a real job. And three days into the program, I was more sore than I'd ever been in my life and loving it. And the ballet mistress and the um, executive director came to me and said, hey, we know you weren't planning on this, but if you'd like to, we'd love to have you stay and join the company. Oh, which wow. was incredible. So fresh out of high school at 17 years old, that part of my childhood dream came true. And I ended up becoming a professional ballet dancer, which was incredible until it wasn't. Oh, I got goosebumps just from, <laughs> I mean, how, I mean, that's kind of that dream, right? That you, you're following your passion and then you hope you get discovered, right? Or that the right people see you at the right time and that you fit into uh, something very special. And it sounds like that's what lined up for you. How exciting. It totally did. And that's the only way I can say it is it just aligned. You know, I didn't go to an audition. I didn't, they just saw me dance and say, we'd love to have you join the company. So that was amazing. And it was this incredible whirlwind of like, oh my goodness, I'm in Florida where it's sunny all the time. <laughs> I know it was like this in the world. <laughs> no, for real. No, that's actually real. I would say to my friends every morning, did you see the sun today? And they're like, Rachel, you're in Florida. It's sunny every day. I'm like, what? Blows my mind. So um, yeah, so I'm in Florida and it's sunny and I'm living out my childhood dream. And it was just this incredible ride of my life. And then um, about a year into it, my body couldn't handle it anymore because remember I had said that there were eating disorders and things like that. And so when you're dancing 10 hours a day, six days a week, and you're not taking care of your body properly, and then it caused some metabolic reactions in my body, my metabolism actually shut down. And so I went from being an up and coming company member to the girl who pushed play on the CD player in the back of the room. Oh no. And that was devastating. And here this had been my childhood dream. 
and I saw it all slipping away. I had sprained ankles for six months because every time I got out of bed, I would re-sprain my ankles, completely popped out my lower back joint doing a simple arm move. Like, And I was the girl who was fearless, right? The guys love partnering with me because you could pick me up and throw me around and I loved it. And I would, speaking of risk, right? I would try all the things. And, and so it felt like in that moment, my body was failing me and taking away my childhood dream. And there was nothing I could do about it. And it was terrifying. And so I had also moved my entire life from Rochester, New York to Jacksonville, Florida. And when you're dancing 10 hours a day, six days a week, whenever you're part of anything like that, a part of a company, I had no life outside of the company. So here I had moved my entire life and found my complete identity in something that was slipping away from me. And I could do nothing about it. Wow. Wow. And, and the coaches so, the, and the, yeah. the, 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 the director that you mentioned, the mistress that were leading this, did they not have coaching for you in terms of how to take care of your body at that level? They just wanted you to perform as well. That and, kind and of the that's kind of, of the thing. I mean, we had conditioning, like this is what was so ironic. So I was living with a chiropractor's family. So very, very health oriented. I tend to be very health oriented myself. I was eating well, um, you know, I was cooking for the family. I was living on basically a vegetarian diet at that time. We were actually doing a water unit at the uh, company where we had to track how much water that we drank. We had conditioning. We had all this kind of stuff. I mean, I obviously had plenty of physical activity. So it wasn't that I wasn't taking care of myself either. That was the thing that didn't make sense, ah. you know, and the chiropractor also had a gym. And so I would come home from a full day of classes and run the mile to the gym and work out and run back. So it's not like, it's not like I was in poor health when any of this started. I had plenty of energy. I had stamina. I had muscle strength. I had incredible flexibility and all that kind of stuff. And then my body just started falling apart. So mm -hmm. it's not like those, those, um, what do you call it? Guidelines weren't in place or that I wasn't following them. You know, it wasn't like yeah. I was living on potato chips and then dancing 10 hours a day, six days a week. That might've been a different story. No, I was doing, I was extremely intentional, perhaps a little bit too much though, in terms of how I was taking care of myself. Um, yeah, but my body just, for whatever reason, just shut down. So. Mm. So now you're seeing all this is slipping away, your identity, your dream. It was I mean, terrifying. Yeah. So how, how did you deal with that? Were you talking to people? Were you able to talk to anyone to try to help you through this? Or were you just afraid to even talk to anybody? Because they thought, well, if I tell them, they're going to yeah. say, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. You're not going to be able to do this or whatever. Well, it was, it was a very hard season. I definitely um, had a nervous breakdown at one point. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I didn't have that terminology for it at the time. Mm -hmm. Spiraled down into depression. Um, I would like to say that the company was very supportive and the leadership of the company was very supportive, but they were not. Um, and it was kind of like, Hey, you got to get your act together or you're out basically. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that was hard too. And like I said, you know, I'm also 2000 miles from my support system mm -hmm. and, um, just watching everything fall away. So I bottled a lot. Um, and I think that's why I fell into such a place of depression is I just kept it all inside because I didn't really feel like there was, I did have a couple of close friends at the company who I'm so grateful for. And I'm going to tell you a story about one in a minute that really, I think saved my life. Um, but I didn't really have anybody there that I was close with that I could express this to. There was definitely a lot of judgment, to be honest, about, well, why aren't you taking care of yourself better? Like you don't understand. Like yeah, I'm doing all the things I'm doing right, and yet yeah. still my body is falling apart. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say that the chiropractor's family was amazing, and he definitely took care of me as best that he could, and I'm so grateful for them. Um, but it just, yeah, I I didn't have an outlet, so I just bottled, and the more I bottled, the more I just sunk into a very dark place. And so when this started to happen. We were doing a uh, a very special piece that my friend Rodney choreographed to the song Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls, you know, and I don't want the world to see me 
Cause I don't think that they'd understand When everything's made to be broken I just want you to know who I am And to be chosen to be in that piece was a very high honor. And then the music, I'm very, like music has a huge impact on my life. And so that song really became my anchor when everything was falling apart, when my body was falling apart, like that was my song. So fast forward about six months and I was pushing play on the CD player in the back of the room, watching somebody else learn my part in that piece that had been such an anchor to me. And I just like, that was the final blow for me. I just couldn't do it. And I just collapsed sobbing in the back of the studio after rehearsal. And my friend Lacey saw me and she came over and I was like, I just, I was sobbing. I was like, I just want to quit. I just want to quit. I just want to quit. She was like, okay, you want to quit? There's the door. Just walk out. You never have to come back again. Go on. Why aren't you doing it? Like you say you want to quit. Just walk out that door and quit. What's the matter? She said, I know what's happening. There's a voice that's rising up inside of you saying, you can't make me quit. That's right. And don't you ever forget it. And I firmly believe that that conversation saved my life because I was in a very depressed borderline suicidal place at that time in my life and so for her to say that it was true because one thing about me that you're going to hear over and over is you can't make me quit Mm -hmm. and that her reminding me of that last that night just changed everything for me and so the external circumstances didn't change but the internal fortitude rose up Wow. Wow. Again, I'm still, I, I got more goosebumps on that. So, okay. So you, you're not going to quit then. Did, does your body recover then? You just needed to take some time and then you could get back on stage or what, how did, what, what's next well, then for you? So you have great yeah. fortitude, but. Yeah. So I wish I could say that's what happened. Um, but it would take about 14 years before my body would begin to recover. Oh, wow. And so, I lost my childhood dream, but I was introduced to the world of entrepreneurship. So um, in the midst of this, of course, you know, I have to do something and I'm clearly not able to do the things I was at the company anymore and I've got to get a job now. And so there was a lady and honestly, I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, speaking of things aligning, they just aligned again, honestly, in a serendipitous way, I could never have made happen on my own. Like the way that I like to describe my life is that God makes the most amazing tapestries. And I couldn't have woven it if I tried. If you look at the back, it looks like all of these messy threads. And then you look (laughs) at the front and you're like, oh, that's what you were doing. So, and that's really the story of my life. So here I thought that I had lost my dream. I had lost my identity. I had lost all of these things. Well, there was a lady who was an entrepreneur before I even knew what that word was. And she scheduled itinerant authors out of her home. She had a book packing company and she had an 18 month old and she needed somebody to help with all of that. And so she reached out to the studio and said, hey, do you have any of your dancers looking for work? And of course they were like, well, Rachel, what do you think? I'm like, yeah, I think it's it's time for me to do this. And I still didn't fully leave the studio for a little bit. Um, But I kind of began to get my feet wet in other things. And so I started packing books, changing diapers, answering the phone, like whatever, whatever she needed me to do. And very early on, one of the authors in particular took off like wildfire and he needed somebody to go on the road and do public relations. So all of a sudden that became me. So again, totally wet behind the ears, don't know what I'm doing. All of a sudden I'm flying to conferences and running book tables and, you know, scheduling speaking engagements and all this kind of stuff. And then we took a a partnership. This lady and I formed a partnership and took on more clients and they needed somebody to go on the road. So for about five years of my life after that, I lived with my suitcase packed at all times because I never knew when the call would come in a second, your flight leaves in an hour. So again, going back to risk-taking and just jumping into the moment, like that's that's me. I'm very spontaneous. I am always up for an adventure. And so it was an adventure for me. 
um, being on the road got very old very quickly. You get real tired of hotel food and hotel rooms and conference centers and all that kind of stuff. But I did learn some incredible things, meet some incredible people. So that's kind of where I went from that. So from professional ballet dancer to now I'm running the book table, right? And again, I will just say that like, going back to being the baby and being overlooked, like when you're behind the scenes on these big events, you are overlooked. And sometimes you're not treated the best. And I definitely have some of those stories as well. So yeah, that fast forwards me to when I was 25. And then it was time for another transition I didn't see coming. Yeah. Well, let me ask you. So no, no formal training on this um, PR, but yet you just learn on the job, right? Figure it out. And yet this, this woman who it's her business, you know, then she's sees the potential, sees how you get it done. And then says, well, let's be partners. I mean, that's a pretty big jump there too. And then, and your willingness to do maybe what she didn't want to do because she had a newborn <laughs> was to be on the road, right? And and taking yeah. care of all those things and taking care of all those authors to make sure they can have the experience they want. Of course, sounds like maybe you didn't have the experience <laughs> that you wanted always exactly. So, wow. Yeah, I learned, you know, in yeah. all of those yeah. I learned. And so now just a little shout out to anybody running a book table. Like if I'm at an event and you're running a book table, the odds are very high. I'm going to come over and tell you you're doing a good job because yeah. I know what it's like to be yeah. doing that, you know? Yeah. And it's about showing up and being there and um, being happy to be there. <laughs> yes. And being gracious, even when people are not gracious to you. I learned so many things about customer service through that for yeah. sure. Yeah. So that kind of got your toe in the entrepreneurship, like you were saying. So what, where did we go next then? So next we went back to Rochester, New York which is not what was on my radar, was not where I thought we were going. Um, again, there were some doors that had kind of started to close that I didn't totally see, didn't really want to see. Um, and I felt like I needed to move back to Rochester, New York, which was honestly the last place on earth I wanted to move back to. But I knew I was supposed to, and so I did. And so I quit my job and packed everything that I had into my car, gave away everything else, and drove to Rochester, New York. So now I was 25 years old. What did I want to be when I grow up? You know, and I have all of this diverse background, and I got to, you know, do PR at some very high levels nationally, but I didn't have a piece of paper. Mm. And I didn't really care at that point. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, what do I want to do? So I had these ideas. I was going to start a smoothie bar in Rochester, New York, where it's winter, six months of the year. Ah, yeah. uh, that okay. that didn't last long, but that was like my great idea, right? Because I'm just coming from Jacksonville, Florida. So funny to me now. But anyway, um, and actually what happened was I have friends who own a coffee shop in Rochester and I went to visit them and I was seeing how much their coffee shop ran their life. And I was like, I don't want this. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but there was a businessman who is best friends with my parents to this day. He's amazing. His name is Rex Fisher. And he really, I met with him and then he just kind of took me under his arm and became my business dad and showed me the good, bad, and the ugly, which I'm so grateful for because I've got to see the realities of business. So I started a consulting business and which is so cool because looking back now, I can see the theme of branding in all of this. I just didn't have that terminology for it mm -hmm. then, right? So I was consulting along the lines of, are your actions aligned with who you say you are and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I had a couple of clients and Rex was my primary client. And under his umbrella, he had a number of businesses and nonprofit involvements. And one of the things under that was that he was the president of the U.S. board of an organization of an international organization called Hagar International that was at the time based in Cambodia that rehabilitated women and children who'd been trafficked and took them all the way from the point of rescue. They didn't actually rescue them, but from the point that they got dropped off to counseling, education, healthcare, vocational training. And then the women had the opportunity to be employed in one of three different entrepreneurial ventures they had and fully reintegrated into society. It was the most holistic program I had ever seen, pretty much that was out there at the time. And the more I learned about it, the more passionate that I became. Well, pretty soon after, the board ended up asking me to become the director of public awareness for them. So now all of a sudden at 25, 26, 27, 
I'm going to the UN. I'm going to private receptions at the State Department. I'm doing international public relations at a very high level. Going, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, do people know I'm here? <laughs> like the show Alias was popular around that time. And that was like my jam. I felt like Sydney Bristow going into these places, you know? And that's part of, honestly, that's part of what like gave me the confidence to do it. So we've talked about like how I'm an introvert, but also an extrovert. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm going into these rooms knowing that my job is to network with these very high level people. That's intimidating. Yeah. And so for me, I would put my Sydney on, like, I'm doing this, like I'm Sydney, you know, and I even had a friend who would text me and be like, go get him, Sydney, you know, and it was just like, and the ringtone on my phone was the theme from Alias, you know, all these little things that I was like, That's all awesome. right, I'm going to show up as Sydney Bristow, you know, and so I'd go in these rooms. And then once I got there, I make friends very easily. I'm a very bubbly person, as you can tell. So I had no problem interacting. Um, but I had to kind of psych myself up for it first. So anyway, it gave you the confidence. It and did. Here you think you're putting on this other persona, but it's really just you. But you needed that confidence to go in the room. And I what just showed up for me in my head was um that whole if you can see it, you can be it. And you yes. could see Sydney Bristow doing this, but you didn't maybe see yourself doing it because you're like, who am I to go into these to be at the UN or to be here in this you know, high powered, you know, environment. So that is great. So thank you for sharing that. Cause sometimes we need to, they talk about doing the wonder woman pose, you know, yeah. sometimes you got to psych yourself up physically and Me mentally to get into that room. And then when you're there, you just get to be you, but getting in the room is where it yeah. took the courage, right? It did. It took the courage because there's a difference to be at a room and in a room. Oh, and I knew yeah. that my job wasn't just to be at the room, but to be in the room. Mm-hmm. And I love how you brought that up because it wasn't me being somebody that I'm not. I just needed that to pull out of me, the Sydney in me. Yeah. Yep. yep because yep. I actually am very bold, very confident, all these things. Just sometimes I need reminding of that, you know? <laughs> awesome. Well, I love that. I love that. So that was an incredible two years of my life that I really view as a gift. At the same time, I believe, you know, I have a very, very big heart for children um, and women as well. But man, when you see two-year-olds for sale, like that's something that you can't unsee and the stories that you hear and all of that. And so when you get involved in an issue like that, the world can become a very dark place and you can start to see it everywhere, which is also part of why I related to Sydney because that was very much her world. Her world became a very dark place. And so um, after two years, that came to a very abrupt end. And again, that was devastating, but I see now that it was a gift. So this is the story. So I had been on the road at that point for about a month and a half. And the tail end of that was time in Cambodia. And I got back from Cambodia, literally walked off the plane, emceed this big benefit concert we were doing for the organization And the very next day, my business dad, Rex, and his business partner, Truck, brought me in their office and with tears in their eyes, because now it's 2007, 2008. Ah, not good. Not good enough for anything, right? It's oh No, no, no. And said, Rachel, we love the work that you're doing. But while you've been gone, we've been losing contracts. We've had to let engineers go. We no longer have the funds to put behind what you're doing as much as we love what you're doing. So we're going to have to let you go. And they were crying and they took me to lunch and they called me every week. How are you doing? How can we help you? You know, and so initially it was devastating because again, here was something I had poured my whole identity into, right? For two years of my life. I mean, because when you're doing international public relations, you've got to be on Skype calls at 11 o'clock at night. You know, you're hanging out with friends and be like, hey, sorry, this has been fun. I got to let you fit, you know, finish settlers on your own. I got to go take this Skype call or whatever. Like, and so, and being on the road so much and just pouring, I poured all of myself into this, into fighting human trafficking and raising awareness. Cause back then people didn't know human trafficking was even a thing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I had three different friends take me to coffee and say, you do know, it's not your job to single-handedly end this. Right. And I was like, what? It's not. <laughs> So like responsible, I see it, I can do something, yeah. Yeah, so that's how invested I was in this. And so then to just have that like ballet gone overnight was 
very, very just jolting. And now I'm 27 years old and I'm not saving the world. What do I want to be when I grow up? And I had to do a lot of soul searching and I really went through this period. I took about a month off. Uh, thankfully, I was able to, you know, live with my parents at the time. And so that allowed me to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just this, like, I went for lots of walks every day. I'm like, okay, who am I? Who am I and who do I want to be when I grew up? I'm 27 years old. I have all of this crazy experience. What do I love? What do I really want to do? And so I decided I really wanted to do something in the creative field. Well, back then, nobody would talk to you if you didn't have a piece of paper. So even though I had been doing international public relations at the UN and the World Bank and the State Department, and I had done national public relations for these authors, and I had all of this experience, no one would talk to me without a degree. And I couldn't get a job. And that was a little scary. (laughs) And I needed to eat and not live with mom and dad forever and didn't really want to do that as much as I love them. And so I joined a temp agency and I was very specific. I only want a creative job. Like that's it. Don't give me anything that's not in the creative field. And at that time I thought I was going to be a writer. So they give me this lead for a temp receptionist at a production company. And I was livid. I was like, (laughs) you did not listen to me. I am not a receptionist. What are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. They're like, well, we hear you, but we thought this could get your foot in the door. It's like, all right, fine. Yeah, because so the production I, company, creative, you can you can kind of see it, but. Yeah, I still was like, I don't know about this, but I'll trust you. So I go to the interview. I look the president and vice president in the eyes and say, I am not a receptionist. I have no desire to be a receptionist. I'm here to join your creative team. And they didn't really know what to do with me. <laughs> yeah, we need a receptionist. <laughs> then they said, well. Our receptionist is on vacation for two weeks. Could you start there? I was like, all right, fine. So I go from saving the world to sorting mail. And I I couldn't do it, Kathy. Like there was no purpose in it for me. And so I was like, peace out. You get two weeks. I am done. I'll move somewhere else, like whatever I need to do, but I'm not doing this. So on the third day, they gave me the job of organizing their bios on the server. I'm pretty sure is a form of punishment in some country because <laughs> like eight hours, what am I supposed to do with my life? So there's not that many of them, right? So I start reading the producer bios and that's when I saw they had done special effects for Hollywood. They had won national awards. They had consulted presidents and they had produced and did produce some of the largest sales and marketing and association events in the world. And that's when I realized I might be walking away from a golden opportunity. <laughs> this so, they kind of knew what they were doing. <laughs> you know, you know. So I was like, hey, guys, maybe I'll stay. They're like, okay, great. And they gave me this job of sprucing up this PowerPoint, which at this point in my career, I'm very familiar with PowerPoint. But I had not had access to Photoshop. And so as a temp receptionist, I stayed playing in Photoshop until 9 o'clock at night because it was the first I ever had access to the software. So I put together this presentation, send it off, having no clue that it is a huge sales pitch that the president and vice president of the company are giving to a very large client the next day with no backup plan. Really glad I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) So the pitch went wonderfully. They win the client. Next thing I know, the media director is in my office saying, hey, you really have an eye for this, don't you? And she became the best boss I've ever had. Shout out to Deb Stetzel. And she gave me permission to try and permission to fail. And I said, yes, I do. And she said, do you, another, do you want another project? I said, yes, I do. And that started about six years of her coming in my office with some harebrained project. And I just said, yep, I got it. And she'd leave and I'd get on Google. I'd get on lynda.com. I'd get on Adobe TV and figure it out. So I taught myself video editing, audio editing, motion graphics, 3D animation, e-learning, set design, content writing, you name it. If the company did it, I learned it. Wow. Wow. So again, more just on the job. Everything you've done was just how do I, how do I do this and apply it for something that's real life versus let me do this for a project for a class. 
you did yeah. a real life high, high stakes. Oh, I did. Very high stakes environment. So <laughs> one of the things that I did, I'll just share this, that was in retrospect, probably insane. So I taught myself video editing to edit a 12 module orientation series for the Project Management Institute for their event that was two weeks away. Oh my God. <laughs> like these are the kind of projects that I took on. It's not like she was like, hey, here's this project. Do you want to do it for six? No, uh, uh, uh. it was like, yep, I got you. I'll have it on your desk. Like that was, that was, it was insane. It was really insane. But I learned a lot, like speaking of risk and adventure, right? Like this is who I am. So as if that wasn't crazy enough, and those hours could be like 60 to 80 hours a week, especially close to showtime. I also thought it would be a good idea to go back to school and get my piece of paper. So uh -huh. while working six time, which is was none. Yeah, right, right. So I basically didn't sleep for like three years, but I got it done working at the production company and getting my degree. And I'm actually incredibly grateful as insane as that was. I say that I got a double degree because to your point, Kathy, I was learning in real time and putting things into practice. And then I went back and learned like the philosophy behind it and the theory behind it and all of that kind of stuff. So I got to take what I was learning and implement it, but I was also already implementing. So I had that understanding to come into these classes with. Um, and so, yeah, so that was an insane, insane last three years at that job, but I got it done. <laughs> well, this also shows your courage, your risk-taking and that whole, I'm not going to quit and, and your confidence in yourself in terms of, well, yeah, I got this and they walk away and then you deliver an amazing result. So, wow. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah. So now that takes us to 2011. And I had my degree and my master plan was now I am going to go be a designer at an ad agency in New York City, which I'm so glad didn't happen, by the way. But that's what I thought I wanted to be. I would have been so miserable. I was never made to be a bee in a beehive, which I have since learned is basically what you are in that context. Ah. So, But because life doesn't always go according to our plans, right? In the midst of this, I had fallen for a news anchor in Binghamton, New York, of all places. Binghamton is a very small area, not where I thought I was going to move, but I ended up moving to be closer to him. And honestly, my master plan was that I was going to marry him and get the heck out of there <laughs> because he was very talented, overworked, underpaid, all these things. And so I was going to move to Binghamton. We were going to get married, which he was on board with. Um, by the way, it's not just, this wasn't just in my head. Yeah. This was our plan. <laughs> there was too involved here. There was too involved. There was very much too involved. And then, you know, get him out of there, get him to a better market, all this stuff. Well, all of that backfired. So I left my job at the production company, moved to Binghamton, New York, became a designer at an ad agency, which is the worst job I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah, but again, again, you thought that was the dream job. I did. I did. Maybe not in Binghamton, but I did think that was the dream job. Uh -huh. And so I lovingly refer to that season of my life as the mafia, because <laughs> I'm not entirely unsure that's not who I actually worked for. Oh my gosh. Okay. Very much the environment there. Very throwing people under the bus, lots of intimidation, lots of, it was just extremely toxic environment, manipulation. Ugh. Uh, so I'm doing that, right? So now I've just moved my whole life. <laughs> to be with him, uh, barely ever saw him, had this job that I hated, had no friends, like there was dynamics going on with his mom, like it was just, it was a super, super hard year. Nothing went like I thought it would that year. But in dating him, I organically learned what the news will cover, what they won't, what makes a good story, what catches their attention, how to write a press release, when the best time to hold press conferences are. I became friends with the news director, right? All of this stuff. I met the local news media. Working at the ad agency, I learned advertising. I met those local news media. I was present for just about every press conference that we held, you know, and ribbon cutting and all that kind of stuff. So I learned all of these things organically, even in the midst of what was a very crappy time in my life. Like, honestly, I went home every day and just cried, just cried. You know, I had 
moved to be with the man that I loved and I never got to see him and you know and his mom made life very difficult and I hated my job and I had no friends and I just cried every single night I would just come home and just stop so looking back though in the midst of it I learned such valuable things and of course, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so there was also things that were built in me character-wise as a result and things that I learned not to do and all that kind of stuff. But um, but just the experience that I had grew in ways that I didn't see at the time. Well, about a year and a half into it, I had a friend who was working in admissions at a local college. And she said, Rachel, please come. I have I had made friends by then, by the way. <laughs> There was, there was some hope. There was hope. You did make friends. Yeah. I did eventually make friends. It took a while, but I did eventually make friends. Um, But I had a friend who was working in admissions at a local college. And she said, Rachel, we're hiring for marketing director. Like, please, please come interview for this. We need you. And she knew how miserable I was at my job. And uh, I was like, oh, I don't know about that. Because I thought marketing was like, data and numbers and research and like not my cup of tea right I didn't think it was creative I thought that was like Mm. a tiny piece of it so I didn't want that job but she would not leave me alone so finally I uh went to the interview just to get her off my back and (laughs) and walked right into the dream job I never knew I wanted got hired on the spot and all of these crazy diverse career experiences I've just told you about came together in this amazing package. It wasn't perfect. No job is, but I got to make that job what I wanted it to be. I got to use my PR skills and knowing the local news media and knowing the other local media and learning advertising and producing events and like all these broad spectrum of things I've done just coming together in this amazing package with people I really enjoyed working with and an amazing team of interns that I dearly love that are still friends. So yeah, so that's the crazy, crazy like ballerina to marketing journey. (laughs) So then in 2016, I started feeling the nudge to step out on my own. And I would like to say I took it seriously, but I didn't because I had written a script for my life about 10 years earlier when I was in um, actually an engagement and I was like, this is it. I get to do both. I get to be a mom and I get to have my business and it's the side hustle. So I have a creative outlet and I can help support my family and I can be focused on raising my kiddos, you know? So when the nudge came in 2016, I was in no relationship. There was no one on the horizon. I had no children. And I was like, this does not fit the script. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't think so. So I didn't really take it seriously. I reopened my freelance business because also as if my life wasn't crazy enough, I thought that freelancing over several of these years was also a good idea. So I reopened my freelance business, but I didn't really promote it. It was just like, hey, you can hire me again and didn't really do anything with it. And so not surprisingly, didn't really have a ton of clients in the way, you know? So fast forward to May of that year, 2016, right after graduation, which is, by the way, the single most stressful time of year for a college marketing director, the board decided to make budget cuts and eliminate the marketing department. Wow. So within a matter of hours, I had no job, no computer, no nothing. And I went home and I was just crying and I heard it's time to launch. And I was like, you're out of your mind. I don't even have a computer. Like, did you, are you, are you paying attention to this? Cause I am. Uh, And scared out of my mind. I said, yes. And a friend of mine built me the computer that I am speaking to you on via zoom right now. And I launched and that was six and a half years ago. So yeah, that is my crazy journey nothing like I love that you were talking about transition and what do you do when you feel stuck and what do you do when life doesn't go the way that you thought it would I mean like I feel like that's been my entire life trajectory up to this point like even in the past six and a half years there's been so many things even this year there's been so many things that didn't go the way that I thought and so just being able to 
adapt. You know, I've learned a lot of things about grief and how important it is to allow yourself to grieve. Because again, like I said, when I was spiraling at the ballet company and I stuffed, I was a stuffer most of my life. And so it wasn't until even a couple of years ago that I was able to kind of process through that and start healing from some of those things and realize that those things that I looked back on in my life as failures were actually, no, here you do this for a season and this is a gift, but I know this isn't all of who you are. And so I'm going to transition you into the next thing. And so being able to see that and extract the goodness from every season, even the painful ones, um, is a journey that I've been on the past few years. So yeah. And then in 2019, I started a podcast called The Brand Boss Show. Wasn't the name of my business at the time. Um, the whole premise behind it was to empower you to rock your brand like a boss. Because in all of my years of marketing and sitting on various boards and things like that, I hate the prevailing attitude that, again, is not across the board, but is very common, where the agency comes in, marketing, advertising, design, whatever it is, and we know what we're doing and the business owner is stupid. And it's just not true. That's hogwash. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, nobody knows the business better than the business owner, right? Like it's that whole thing about nobody knows a child's heartbeat, like the mother who hears it from the inside. Like it's your baby. It's your business. Nobody knows your business better than you do. And so um, I was tired of seeing business owners manipulated into throwing money after every trend that comes down the pike and doing all the things just because somebody else said this is what they should be doing. So I decided I was going to start a podcast and just educate business owners. What is branding even? What makes it work? What makes it not work? How does it impact your business? What do you need to know? Marketing, et cetera. I didn't even have any gear, Kathy. I didn't have a mic. I didn't have anything. I just spoke into the voice memo app of my phone, standing in the closet to mitigate the noise because that's all I had. And, you know, I know how to do audio editing thanks to the production company and what I taught myself there. And I just put together this podcast and put it out there. Well, to my complete amazement, it took off. And then people started calling me the brand boss. And at first I was super not okay with that. Like, don't make it about me. This is about you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah. This is about, and probably some of that was my introvert coming out. Right. But like, this is not about me. This is about you. This is about empowering you to rock your brand like a boss. But sometimes destiny calls your name before you recognize it. And so in January of 2020, I realized it was time to own my identity as the brand boss. And I called my one employee that I had at the time, and we started working on what we thought was a rebrand we were going to roll out in April of 2020, and ended up launching a brand new business in the middle of the global pandemic. And so, you know, walking through, again, all of that and transitions and, okay, who are we now and how do we serve? And people had begged me to do their social media for years and I pushed it away because when I was the marketing director of the college, it ran my life. I was on social media before I got out of bed in the morning and until my eyes fell shut at night. Like I I had a hate relationship with social media, not even love hate. I had a hate relationship with it. And aside from like keeping in touch with friends, that was it. And so, but people kept asking again and again. And I was like, you know what? I got to pay attention to these clues. And so then starting to do that and then realizing that this journey that I've been on from having to own my identity as the brand boss and show up in the world as a brand boss and put myself out there so the people who need me can find me and overcome imposter syndrome and overwhelm and I don't like how I look on camera and just all that stuff that goes with it. I don't know if I like the sound of my voice, like all this stuff. And there's so many other stories in that that i I will say, because I know we're probably short on time, but just this walking, this journey of how scary it is to put yourself out there and be intentional about showing up and have your face and your voice and your thoughts on the internet and all this kind of stuff. And the journey that I've walked, I am now so passionate about helping other business owners do because I know what it's done for me. And I know what it's done for the impact I'm able to make for the people that I serve. Yeah. And no one's, no one has your journey. No one has your experience. So that makes you unique. Right. And I I love how you talked earlier about, oh, I had these master plans. And then in some ways you did fulfill the master plan. And in some ways you didn't, and then you were disappointed, but um, you know, you got to stay in the present. I remember being in corporate and um, not recognizing when I was part of a high performing team. And then, but when you lose it, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. Oh man, I, I, now I want to get that back. 
how do I get that back? And, and sometimes you can't because it was a, a time and place. And, um, and there was all things that aligned to make it what it was at the time. So uh, very interesting lesson. So, well, Rachel, you've got so many great nuggets in here. I think that people are going to really be able to relate to so many different things in your story. So thanks for sharing and being so open. I mean, this, you know, to talk about having these dreams and then losing them, but then the grief that had to go with that and the fact that you had to deal with all of that because you just stuffed it down, right? You said you were a stuffer. You just stuff it down and then it, it comes out later, right? And then it does. And one of the ways that I stuffed it the most was being a workaholic. Mm -hmm. And so if I can just earn, if I can earn more success, if I can earn more approval, if I can earn more like perfectionism and workaholism is what that looked like hardcore for me, because I'm a very driven person anyway, if that's not incredibly that's obvious. Not obvious. <laughs> and I think some of it does come from my ballet upbringing. You know, I like, I was, I was the girl who would be brushing my teeth, practicing. Like it was just yeah. like every doorway was my bar. Like that was just me. I was always like better yourself, better your craft, better your craft, better your craft, which is a good thing, Yeah, but it can be very unhealthy. And so it was always like working until all hours of the night and learning all the things and like doing all this. And so that's how I stuffed. And I didn't see that until years later, that that was me stuffing. Yeah. And so, you know, even to be able to share these things now, like I, I have come to a place, Kathy, where I have realized in my life that I'm not saying this has to be true for everybody, but for me, the stories that I've lived and the journey that I have, it wasn't just given to me for me. And I know what it's like to be in the thick of it and feel hopeless and feel like you're the only one in the world going through it and feel like your life is falling apart and all this kind of stuff. And if what I share for my journey can bring hope and encouragement and literally courage to even one person, why wouldn't I share that? So I am grateful for opportunities like this, even though they're not easy, even though it's like, ah, here's my dirty laundry, right? <laughs> but if that can help you who are listening to this right now, why wouldn't I share? Yeah. Well, and it will, because, you know, when you're in it, as, as you were, right, if you could have listened to something like this, it probably would have been, wait a minute, this isn't just me. Everybody goes through these times where their their jobs end or their dream gets pulled out from under them. I mean, the, all these circumstances change, but then who am I really? Because I thought I was a ballet dancer. No, I thought I was PR. No, I thought I was nonprofit. Yeah, saving the world. Um, yeah. Well, Rachel, we could probably go on for the rest of the afternoon, but we do have to, to wrap up here. And I have two closing questions for you. One is, when you look back on your career and your life, what do you think served your best, served you best? Was it a strength, a discipline, a character, a habit? What do you think served you best? Two things, perseverance and figuring it out. You've heard a lot about my perseverance. And, you know, I mean, the entrepreneur journey is like that. Career journey is like that. Life is like that. It's just, you keep going, you keep putting one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, and being tenacious and hope in that. You know, there's one thing of like, okay, I'm just gonna keep going. And sometimes life feels yeah. like that. But when you can have eyes towards a better future and keep going, that's powerful because now you might not see it yet, but you're continuing to make steps and the compound effect will pay off. You will find that you are heading in that direction. And then the other thing as far as figuring out everything in my life, as you've heard, I learned on the job, even ballet, right? Like how do any of us, you learn ballet, you learn it as you go, right? So everything in my life, I have learned, I have figured it out as I go. And I think that sometimes we can get stuck and go, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> But life is figure outable, like especially with Google and all oh, the things out there too. now. So much yeah. available. Yeah. And you're gonna try things and they're not gonna work, but then you're gonna try things and they are gonna work. So having that attitude that life is figure outable and I'm just gonna dive in and teach myself. You know, I just taught myself a new software last week. I needed yeah. to. So like you just just life is figure outable. Whatever it is, you have the ability to figure it out. And I think that's important too, of like you are not powerless in the equation. You are powerful. You have the power, the ability, the mind, the skills. You can figure this out no matter what you're going through, no matter what it looks like. You have the ability to figure it out. So keep your eyes towards the future. Be persevering. Keep going. 
and figure it out as you go. Yeah, I love that. Your fig- it's, life is figure outable. I love that. We'll have to make that one of the quotes. Well, I yeah. also like to, if you look back at things, when you're in it, maybe more recent than too far away. And what am I learning from this? What am I learning from this? How can I apply this? That's also part of figuring out, right? Which is maybe I'm not happy in this job or this situation or with this boss, but what am I learning from all of this? And a lot of times from that boss, that's not good. You learn a lot. (laughs) You learn about (laughs) how I want to be as a boss. Yeah. And what I need in my next boss or in my next role. So, okay. So last question then is, any words of wisdom that were impactful or inspiring from you as you went through your journey or any words of wisdom that maybe you use with others to kind of help? Yeah. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is the one that I shared with my friend Lacey. Um, but I would add on to that, this Winston Churchill quote, that success isn't final, failure isn't fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. And so whether you feel like you are flying high or at the bottom. Keep going. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep being you. Keep showing up. Keep doing what you're here to do because it is. It's the courage to continue. Sometimes also fear of success is a real thing. And I've faced that in my own life too. You have these moments of success and then you're like, oh, what do I do now? Yeah. You keep going. You know, everything falls apart. What do I do now? You keep going. And so that's definitely one of my favorite quotes and something that has spoken to me multiple times along my journey. Success isn't final. Failure isn't fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for reminding me of that quote. And you know, it, it fits so well with your, your story. Cause when you think about, you know, a ballet professional ballet dancer is just like any other professional sport that is based on your physicality. It is not, you know, forever. There is a, there is a window for that. And it's all about when do you hit your peak And then when do you know when now it's time to move on to something else? But I love that. So, okay. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for sharing your story today. And you never know who who needed to hear it and who's going to be moved, touched, and inspired. I know I was today. So listeners, I'm I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of this. So thank you so much for having me, Kathy. On that note, I would say, uh, listeners, if you are, if you like today's interview, please subscribe below. So you're alerted as other interviews are published. And if you have any questions for me or for Rachel, you'll can find this interview as well as her social media and mine on lifestorycurator.com because I'll post it all there. And on that note, I'll say stay safe, stay well, and let's keep sharing those stories. Have a great day.